The World Cup on Off The Ball, covering the good, the bad and, well, the ugly of what's happening in Qatar. Neymar can push the ball between your legs because he just sees things. Subscribe to the OTB Football Podcast feed now. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mode. Andy Mitten is with us. Andy, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning. All good, thanks. We've uh, we spent a long time parsing the body language uh, between the former Manchester United colleagues uh, arriving at Portugal training. I'm I'm going to ask you a similar question about Casemiro. From what you know, is Casemiro, does he like the old heavy challenges in training? Or should I be reading into the fact that he nearly um, chopped Richarlison in two? Uh, Casemiro trains as he plays. He did that at Madrid. Carlo Ancelotti loved him for doing that. Manchester United in their pomp, uh, trained as they played. He came in this season and he flies into challenges. And uh, I don't think a lot of people have got a, a problem with that. All right, so it's a sign uh, of respect in, for Richarlison as opposed to... Uh, maybe. In his defence, if you look at his disciplinary record, it, it's incredible given the number of games he's played and the position that he plays. He's had very, very few um, bookings and red cards. I don't even know if he had a red card in Spain in all that time that he played there. I don't think he had a single red card. And um, before we get into Manchester United stuff, obviously uh, we have a, a the record youngest ever scorer for Spain in a mm. World Cup, just behind Pele now uh, after the seven uh, seven goals they scored last night. Um, it's very early to be this good. That's the one kind of caveat. Uh, but are people getting carried away with the brilliance of the Spanish, very young Spanish team? Given the opponents, um, Spain were, were always going to be strong, strong favourites. But Spain were strong favourites in the Euros and had a really stuttering start in the first couple of matches. So they, they've had a fantastic start. Five of that starting eleven were Barcelona players, the youngsters you mentioned, Gabi, the youngest, uh, Pedri. We knew a bit more about Pedri because he broke through a year before. They're Good mates, but they're completely different players and people. So if you want to ask me about reckless madheads, ask me about Gavi rather than Casimiro because he's a hot-headed young bull and very talented. The way he took that goal yesterday um, was so impressive for someone of his age. Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Pedri, the way he sees spaces, the way he exploits space. Uh, poor Costa Rica. Within three minutes of watching that game last night, I just thought, Pedri is just going to destroy you here. And that's what he did. To be considered world-class as a teenager, it's, it's incredible, really, isn't it? And they're not playing in a vintage Barcelona team either. So they've got very good players around them, but this isn't the Barca of a decade ago under Guardiola. It's still a team coming together. Uh, I really, really like Luis Enrique. I liked him a lot as a player, a lot as a manager, a lot as a person. I've been fortunate enough to interview him face-to-face. He does very few interviews. I sat in a bar with him for 90 minutes, one of the best interviews I've ever had. Got a lot of admiration for him. When he finished playing football, he took off by himself. He went to Glasgow. He went to Liverpool. He watched the Derby games. He stood on the cop. He just um, bought a scarf, not Liverpool one, I hope. And... Um, and just travel around the world. He's his, his own free spirit, but he's a very, very good manager. There's an excellent team spirit in the in the, the Spain squad, and I think they would be among the favourites. There's probably four or five teams who could could win the, win the World Cup, and Spain would be one of them. 
that's the best part about this, isn't it? That like uh, you, you look at the Spain team and you can pick holes in the age profile of some of their defenders or in the youthfulness that they're just a little bit inexperienced, but actually blend it together in a World Cup over three and a half weeks. If they all get on and somebody makes a last-minute block or somebody misses a sitter in the opposition, suddenly you're world champions. And that's on the cards for, I would say, four, as you said, four or five teams, which makes it one of the most interesting and open World Cups we ever had. Yeah, it does. And Luis Enrique has been a winner. And Spain, the, the, they've won the World Cup. They, they got the pressure of never winning anything off the shoulders in, in 2010. And th- these players grew up, and some of them played Within that, you know, Sergio Busquets played played in that team. One thing I like about Luis Enrique, he's not afraid to upset the the mainstream view. Um, quite famously, picked very few Real Madrid players. That's not because he's got a problem with Real Madrid. He played for Real Madrid. He was a great Real Madrid player. The fact that he went from Real Madrid to Barcelona as a player just shows what he's like. I will do whatever I want. Played with Kevin Moran, by the way, when he was at Sporting Gijón. Kevin was coming to the end of his career. Luis Enrique was 16, 17 years old, great young player. And um, the, the, the two of them both got on. With the media, he's quite interesting. He's decided to do a live stream himself. He, he doesn't like the Spanish media. I always remember when I, I went to his house and I walked with him and he said, I don't do many interviews. I, I don't like talking to the Spanish media uh, because if I do one, I've got to do the other. And they always twist the words I felt very privileged, actually, to, to get an interview with him. I got lucky. I wrote to him and he wrote back to me. I wrote to him in Spanish. He replied to me in English. And I, I think he liked the idea of managing um, in England. And, and we spoke about that. But uh, I think he's a top, top manager. I, I actually hoped that he would get the Manchester United job after um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Ra- Ralph Rangnick. He was my favourite. I'm absolutely happy with um, Eric Ten Hag. But Luis Enrique who United were totally interested in. Um, he always had the World Cup. His contract finishes after the, the World Cup, but he was never going to walk away from Spain in a World Cup year, and I, and I respect that. It's going to be very interesting to see. Like, um, I think they're the, one of the youngest age profiles, if not the youngest, is the third youngest. Um, and so you can see him taking this job on, but at the same time, you know, as you said, he's a, a man who is singular, and so he could easily walk away, especially if they win. Let, let's move on to the Manchester United situation. Um, a lot has happened. It's been, it's been quite the week. Um, the coincidental timing of the Ronaldo announcement and the Glazer story um, and the statement coming out from them, um, I think, has sent Manchester United uh, fans into a bit of an overdrive. Uh, what's your understanding of when the Glazers actually made the decision to sell the club? Does it trace back directly to the end of the European Super League or the, certainly the, the suspension of the European Super League plan? Yes, because they wanted to join the European Super League. They saw that as another revenue stream, increased revenues. And after that, they came out under a lot of pressure. They backtracked. They they basically admitted that they'd not invested enough into the stadium, uh, that Manchester United needed serious investment, spent a lot of money on players uh, over this summer, maybe too much money, maybe eating into next year's budgets, maybe overpaid for... Uh, players like Anthony and it's sort of showing like it's um, the, the, the the signings were good under Eric Tenag. Manchester United have been good so far this season. Not great, but good, sufficient, passing the test um, so far. But the biggest story is is the ownership of the club and everything that they've done 
um, for better or for worse, and they've done a lot of good things as well, or the club have, uh, it's always been under the cloud of the Glazer ownership. Very unpopular with fans. Always have been since that highly leveraged buyout. Very controversial takeover in 2005. Um, my understanding is they basically looked at what Chelsea went for. They've seen Liverpool go to market. They've seen the, the number of people who were prepared to bid for Chelsea. This wasn't speculation. These were hard bids. And Manchester United are far bigger than Chelsea. And United need investment, infrastructure. And there's another factor, and that's how can anyone go up against uh, teams which receive a form of state funding? It's almost impossible. So if you look at the best case example, Liverpool done really well, recruited well, new training ground, expanded Anfield sensibly, that's continuing, excellent manager in Jurgen Klopp. They've done miles better than Manchester United. But even they, how can they go up against Manchester City or Newcastle United or Paris Saint-Germain? It is almost impossible for anybody. So any potential suitor for Manchester United will also have to take that into account. This idea that, okay, the Glazers have gone, someone new is going to come in and everything's going to return to normal, I think that's a bit far-fetched. The, the, the football has changed an awful lot since 2005 when the Glazers took over Manchester United. Can we look into the fact that Liverpool are up for sale as well at the moment, Andy, as, as, as a factor? Because, I mean, United probably twice the value in terms of you know between six and eight billion uh, when or if they do uh, sell the club. But is there something there? Are, are the Glazers trying to almost lure potential suitors from Liverpool over to United? There's the, the I guess, the, the fact that they're one of the biggest clubs in the world, the American interest, there's talk of Amazon and Meta and Jim Ratcliffe as well uh, in Britain. But do you see that as maybe a... A point as well that the fact that Liverpool are already up for sale means the Glazers had to act. Could be. I'm not sure Manchester United are twice as big as Liverpool. Bigger. Liverpool are huge. Manchester United and Liverpool are the two biggest clubs in England by a long, long way. You only have to see that where you live. I could go into any town, village, or city, and there would be pretty equal numbers of Manchester United and Liverpool fans, uh, and and then the rest. Whether that be. Um, Chelsea, Arsenal, Manchester City, they're a long, long way behind. And that's not forgetting the people who support the local teams as well. Um, so if Liverpool were half the price of Manchester United, that would be a very good price for, mm. for Liverpool because Anfield's going to hold 61,000 very soon. It's almost done. Old Trafford needs a serious redevelopment doing. Liverpool arguably have got a better team than Manchester United. Um but United are massive. They're both massive. I was in Scandinavia last weekend. It's Again, it's United and Liverpool. 46,000 paid-up members of the Scandinavian Supporters Club for Liverpool. I think it's 42,000 for Manchester United. I think the next one's 14,000. You'll get similar figures all over the world. And I know if teams are successful, they attract new fans. And you will see Manchester City shirts wherever because they've been a, a successful team. I think there's a sense of, with the Glazers, cash out now. They'll make a vast, vast profit on their initial investment. That makes me sick, if I'm honest. Um, but they've also been incredibly smart. Uh, they've seen an opportunity. They Everything they did was legal. Unethical in my eyes, but legal. And they expanded Manchester United's revenues. They did some things which were very simple to monetize that global support, but others had not done it beforehand. I remember being in, in, in India in 2009 and seeing a billboard with um, a branded uh, vodka drink. 
and all the Manchester United players around this drink at a time when Manchester United were world champions. And I just thought, you clever so-and-sos. And what they've done, rather than go to emerging economies and try and sell copies of the official Manchester United magazine or replica shirts, which they struggle to do. There was all kinds of um, supply line issues, all kinds of counterfeiting issues. I remember being in Thailand in 95 when the club were there and every copy of the Man United magazine, which was flying at the time, was a fake one. So what the Glazers did, they went to the big established companies in those countries and said, do you want to align your brand to us for a million dollars? Got the money in the bank. So simple when you think about it, but no one was doing it beforehand. And they divided the world up geographically. And the next thing, they had Chilean wine partners. They courted these companies in a really smart way. You, If you were the chief executive of a Chilean wine company, you received out the blue this beautiful box with a Manchester United shirt in and a football in and your logo in the middle of that. And that could be pretty attractive, maybe when United were a better team. Yeah, I, like that's the bit that is difficult, I think, for some Manchester United fans, Shane in particular here, to... Uh, it, it, like, look, you make the point that it is, it's, it's relatively simple and probably some other American franchises were doing this and they looked at that and they thought, we can monetize this. That's how these big businesses work. They're like, this big audience, what can we actually sell to them that will allow us to make more money? And it's grim when you're a football fan to think of your support being commodified like that. But it was part of that globalisation trend at the time. And I'm not giving them credit for that. But I am saying that that's like whoever buys Manchester United and takes over next will find that their commercial arm is incredible at generating money. And if it's somebody who has loads of money already, the likelihood is that will get reinvested. But if it's somebody else who comes in and decides to load the club with debt they'll still be able to do that again. And that's why the uncertainty exists over what's coming next, I suspect. Yeah, absolutely. A um, lot of positivity among Manchester United fans with that announcement that they're prepared to, to sell um, because they're despised. They're absolutely despised. And I can totally understand that. Why? Uh, I, I remember the protests in 2004, 2005, thousands of Manchester United fans outside the ground and they've never really gone away. They've ebbed and flowed. That should never have allowed been allowed to have happened that takeover. Um, that 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 buyout. You know, football clubs are, uh, are not like normal businesses, but it was allowed to happen. I remember going to Whitehall with other United fans to see representatives of the British government. October two thousand and five, they made us a cup of tea and biscuits and said, "You know, we're awfully sorry, and yes, we understand where you're coming from, and we'll write a strongly worded letter." Nothing, nothing at all changed. With the commercial stuff, I don't have a massive problem if Manchester United have a Chilean wine partner. I'm more concerned about issues like ticket prices, ticket allocations, Old Trafford, training facilities. I don't mind if the Chilean wine partner pays for a new um, a, a new training ground or an expanded training ground. I've got no problem with that at all. For me, with the Glazers, the bigger issue in the first decade was fastly rising ticket prices, they surged between 05 and 010. Again, to be fair, they've they've barely gone up in a decade and pretty similar with other clubs as well. So they've not put the foot in it like at Liverpool with that famous £77 ticket. And I got someone a face value ticket for a recent Man United game, £37. He, he said, are you sure? I said, yeah. Well, is this not a joke? 
No, it's £37. Whoa. The problem is getting them tickets. That's why Old Trafford needs to be bigger. So commercially, that's the way football has gone. As long as um, the match-going fans are being treated with, with a respect. I don't have a, a, a huge problem if there's going to be a peanut partner in the Philippines. I really don't. Uh, Andy, the, the Glazers have appointed the um, this Rain Group as their financial advisors to handle this deal, the same group that, that looked after the, the Chelsea sale. I guess the difference in the Chelsea sale was there were uh, sanctions and, and with, with, with it being Abramovich and they had to get a sale done by a, by a certain deadline. Do you expect this one, if it goes through, to, to kind of be more protracted, dragged out and for this to go on for quite some time? It could do. I don't know the answer to that. I'm going to speak to people today about that. Um, I don't think anybody knows the answer to that. We don't know how many suitors there are. We don't know um, what what they're asking for. You know, they, People might go to them and say, we're prepared to pay this, and the Glazers might have to an inflated price for their trophy asset, a profit-making asset, albeit one which is now in debt and needs investment. The share price surged with the announcement of this news, so that shows how the market feels about Manchester United, feels that there's future growth in, in football. Uh, I think the Glazers' ideal scenario is a, is a bidding situation, which you had at Chelsea. Um, from a fan's perspective, we need far better owners than the Glazers. Um, supporters have got to be at the heart uh, of, of what Manchester United do. And I, I don't want to sound idealistic there and unrealistic. They should be. Communications improved a lot with fans been some good um, changes at Old Trafford. The Red Army and the Stratford end uh, is a good thing. Things like drink prices. United were very good in lockdown. Didn't furlough the staff like other clubs. Loads of good sort of micro projects going on, but always under the cloud of the, of the Glazer ownership. I think uh, the idea of uh, Sir Jim Ratcliffe owning Manchester United is a Mancunian. Grew up. Two, two miles from where Newton Heath were formed in 1878 uh, would be popular among fans. But again, you know, he's not got where he is by being a, a benevolent, kindly gentleman. He's He's been ruthless as well. And investors are going to almost certainly want to see a return, uh, which means that dream of some, for, some form of fan ownership um, it, it remains a difficult one to achieve. Yeah, it's, it's probably unlikely at this stage. Although it wouldn't be impossible if... Um if a group was to emerge and try and raise money, like it, it you know, the fans could borrow, uh, could find the markets to uh, lend them the money if they were being bankrolled by some former players, for example, if there was a consortium that was led that way. But I, that's kind of it, probably pie in the sky, although I'm sure some of the former players are thinking about it. We have seen in the US ownership groups emerge, which have like a, a bunch of competing. Um, so Jay-Z is apparently part of a group with Jeff Bezos that are interested in the Washington Commanders, even though they're not actually for sale yet, but they will be. Um, so we don't know what's going to happen. There could be a city-state who are looking at Manchester United and go, well, I'd much rather have that than, say, Paris Saint-Germain. Or, or maybe I'll have them both with a, a separate arm of this, this country owning Paris Saint-Germain and Manchester United. All of this... Is, is still on the table, I suspect, at the moment. Yeah, and I don't think all of it will be popular either with Manchester United fans. Manchester United don't need anyone, actually. The club's big enough to stand on its own two feet. They don't need a benefactor. They don't need to be an arm of a, of a city-state. Um, but once them shares went to market in 1991, anybody was a, uh, anybody could buy them. Do you know the value of the club at that time? £38 million and... The share offering wasn't taken up sufficiently by fans and had to be underwritten. I can't believe I'm saying that now. 
in the nine- mitigating factors at the time. I remember doing a piece on on the um, share value around the year two thousand two thousand and one, and at that stage, the um, the shop in Dublin, Arnott's, was quoted on the Irish stock market, and it was more expensive than Manchester United. You, you would have had to pay more to buy Arnott's, which is a shop, than you would have had to pay to buy Manchester United. And obviously, that's what um, JP McManus and John Wagner spotted, and they bought into the club and sold out at like a nice, neat, tidy profit to the Glazers. I do wonder what life would have been like maybe if they'd um, given Alex Ferguson a share of the, the stud <laughs> fees for the Rock of Gibraltar and everybody was still together. Yeah, the Rock of Gibraltar and Ferguson's role, that's another... Um, Another conversation there. Football clubs, for all their profile, um, I remember reading a start a decade ago that big Premier League football clubs um, have a se- same similar revenue to a large single supermarket. So they're not actually that big a business, but they they're growing and becoming quite big. And there are more profitable ways of um, of making money. However, what FSG and what the Glazers have done have shown that. Um, it can be extremely profitable for them. If they sell out in the billions, then it's way, way more than the hundreds of millions they borrowed money on and put money in themselves. Yeah. Um, for. Um, I, like there's also a possibility that they're bought by a company. So um, Disney have just got a new CEO. There's talk of them trying to to survive, to buy Netflix. Uh, like the market capitalization of those, I was looking that up, is 127 and 179 billion. So they could easily, it, it could easily be, Shane mentioned um, Meta, like not 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 beyond the bounds of possibility that somebody goes and says, okay, actually, this makes perfect sense for my business. There's loads of video. It's, it's endless content. We'll distribute that exclusively on our platform. We'll drive subscriptions through that way. And the business will continue to make all the money that it makes through sponsorship, advertising, bums on seats and uh, and prize money. Like, would would something like that be like slightly weird but also more acceptable than being owned by the Saudis for example depends how it's presented and what it's going to be when Sky tried to take over Manchester United in 1998 partly for the reasons that you said there were a lot of objections from Manchester United fans and and that was stopped by the Monopolies and Mergers uh, Commission Um, so times have changed again it's got to be a realism here it's just it's got to be better than the Glazers I don't like the idea of the club being saddled um, with debt and Manchester United paying a billion pounds out in interest payments as has happened in the last um, 17 years Um, which makes me angry thinking that that takeover was ever allowed to happen equally some of the other vultures opportunists um, are not the most edifying and equally they've not made the money by um, being kindly and soft in, in business either. It's, it's, it's a hard world out there. I'd be interested to see who comes forward, what they've got to present to the fans. And if you saw at Chelsea, they were putting their proposals forward and saying, we're going to do this, we're going to engage with fans like that. Uh, it's got to be more than tokenism. Um, Manchester United and every football club needs protecting to stop what has happened with the Glazers happening again. Andy, good stuff. we let you go. Thanks a minute for joining us. Cheers. Thank you. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mode.